do you think we're too loud on this podcast? I don't know any other way to be, girl. Okay, well, let's just, let's just, let's try and talk like normal people. Ready? Okay. Let's do this whole episode like normal people. Just like, like this. Hey, Ellen Marsh. Hey, Patricia Hines. Uh, you guys, thank you for listening to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I recap. Epi- this isn't going to work no! for me, girl. <laughs> we, we lost it 10 seconds. <laughs> You guys, welcome to Obsessed with Disappeared, the podcast where Ellen Marsh and I tell the stories of missing people by recapping the episode of IDs Disappeared that covered their case. Girl, my voice is fried today. Why is my voice fried the day that we're covering the cult shit? Because you were slightly overserved last night, maybe? <laughs> overserved by myself, by the way. Correct. That's also the only way I know how to serve myself. What's wrong with me? You do have a heavy pour, my love. You really do. I have watched you for many a year behind a bar. Uh-huh. And she's generous. Yeah. She likes a strong cocktail, girl. You know I'm not a big drinker. You know I can't handle my booze. I can't handle your boobs. There's a whole thread on the Facebook page about it. Speaking of which, if you want to talk about my boobs, uh, you can join the Facebook group. Why not? It's called the Obsessive Disappeared Podcast Discussion Group. We are in there all the time. Our listeners are so hilarious. They make all kinds of memes about us. They took our cover photo and replaced your face with Elton John and my face with Prince with a raspberry beret. It's the attention to detail. They are just trolling us. They are just there to troll us. That's it. I know. It really, really walks the line of absolute love and absolute troll them. But it's a blast. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Part. You can also follow us on Instagram. No, no, no. You guys, follow us on Instagram at The Disappeared Part. It's P-A-R-D, you guys. That's where you find us. It's a whole new page. <laughs> the disappeared pard, you guys. They're like, I couldn't find Ellen and Patrick. Did you spell it pod or pard? I spelled it pod. It's pard. <laughs> Tell the people what we do every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we go live on our Instagram page. Uh, we It's called Friday Night Live. It's the thing I look forward to the most every week. We sort of just like make fun of each other. We talk about the episodes. We take questions from you guys. And we just kind of hang out and, like, kind of just get mean at each other. No, we do not. It's all from love. All right, you guys. Disappeared, season two, episode 11. It's called Final Prayer. It tells the story of the disappearance of Tim Carney. 25-year-old Tim Carney belongs to a religious group that worries his family. I think they were telling him, we're your family now. You don't need your family. We're your family. Suddenly... He vanishes on his way to morning prayers, leaving his family searching for clues. I always wonder if he was trying to warn us about something that was happening. The Carneys suspect Tim's religious devotion may have played a role in his disappearance. He would never go this long without calling somebody in our family and saying, I'm okay. Just when investigators believe Tim may be out of reach, witnesses think they have spotted him. He seemed very tense uh, and very nervous. Will detectives be able to find him before it's too late? If he had to live on the streets, I just don't see him surviving. 
Yeah, okay, I would like to say now, I don't know where this is going to go. So, you know, just as a reminder, Patrick and I, we don't script this. This is unscripted. So I am probably going to contradict myself at least 17 (laughs) times because this has so many twists and turns and so confusing. So I just want to apologize ahead of time that I am probably going to contradict myself. Is that fine? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) She's already a wreck, you guys. She's already off the rails. Just let's follow her and pretend that we're not terrified. Just (laughs) Fast forward to the end. Call it a day. I love you all. Good night. We learn in the in the episode preview that for the past five years, this guy Tim has been a part of a small church cult in New Jersey. I just want you guys to, they, they never say the word cult in this episode. Right. It is yes. 100 million percent a cult. I don't know if you know this about me, but I am officially, and that's how you say that word, by the way, it's officially. Right. I'm officially a cult expert because we're, we are covering the 59 episodes of The Vow on True Crime Obsessed. Right. And we just covered the Charles Manson thing. And we like talk about cults all the time. So I know everything there is to know about cults. Great. I know everything there is to know about nothing so this is great but I want to also say I don't feel like I need this as a disclaimer but I am not a religious person but I was raised in the Catholic Church and I respect religion I have friends from every possible religious background one of my best friends is Mormon one of my cousin is very Christian I respect all religions you're circling the airport Rose you're circling bring her in everything I say about this church I would like to this is not a church to me no I don't want to say this is not a religion it might come up where I say church or religion I don't mean that. It's a cult. Yes, it's a cult. It's a disgusting group of people. So I just want to say, like, packaging it when they say religion, it's not that. It's not that. (laughs) Every morning, Tim has the same routine. Before starting his day at the New Jersey unemployment office, he wakes up at 5 a.m and goes to the church's 7 a.m. prayer meeting. His daily routine is that he starts his day at 5 a.m. The other thing, too, is every time we learn this about him, we see this, like, shot from the episode of this, like, pair of, like, white, pasty, hairy legs yeah. getting out of a bed. And I just wrote, men are just disgusting. Disgusting. Why can't we take care of ourselves? What is it? I, I don't know. Like, you're, right? you're, you're lint in your belly button and your, and your hairs of all shapes and sizes. Coming out of everywhere, by the way. Coming out of everywhere. I don't even want to go there. There. It's disgusting. It could be a toe hair. It could be an ear hair. It could be a nether region hair. I know. It's disgusting. You're all disgusting. I couldn't agree more. I, I Really, I couldn't agree more. So he wakes up at 5 to get to his prayer meeting at 7 a.m. That seems like a long way to drive for a cult, girl. Yeah. There wasn't a cult closer to go home you could have joined. <laughs> It's yeah, a long way to go for a cult. Oh, God, that's a lot. I got to go for my morning cult. <laughs> I hate everybody. Tim joins the Gospel Outreach Church, led by Pastor Jim Lethbridge and soon has a new circle of friends. Here's a little side goog on the gospel outreach. It's I don't want to spend too much time. I don't want to give them too much in what I fucking hate them. Yeah. But the gospel outreach started in the 1970s in Eureka, California, where a preacher slash real estate agent. <laughs> yeah. Digest that little nugget of joy. Preacher slash real estate agent James Durkin started this church and it has seven branches or seven congregations, which is like you're you're basically like a nothing. It's so dumb. But anyway, this gospel outreach church was run by a piece of shit by the name of Jim Lethridge. Yeah. And they, they describe it as like a group of people who are like religiously focused and they're also focused on academics. And I just wrote, this sounds worse than camping. Yeah. Like going to this prayer cult meeting at 7 a.m. Literally, I would I would rather trek into the woods. Yeah. I've seen true Beverly Hills. I know it can be done. <laughs> oh, gather round all you friends of mine. Oh, that's the best movie. Anyway, his mom says... He was the smart kid, so... 
people shy away from smart kids. He would be talking to adults at 12 years old because nobody else understood him. His parents made it seem like he wasn't super accepted and that he was bullied. He was a chubby nerd with glasses. Girl, do you think, uh, is this somebody who makes this podcast can maybe relate to that? Yeah, no, I know. And <laughs> she was saying he was so smart, he was bullied. She also says that when he was 12, all of his friends were adults. I and know. I was like, oh, <laughs> like I know exactly who that kid was. Yes, I was totally. the chubby, bullied nerd, but like I did have friends and I definitely knew like the kids whose friends were adults because they were too smart to hang out with like regular kids. That's a tough existence until you like grow up and are rich. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But at this point in his life, we learn that his life is basically consumed by the church. Tim surrounds himself primarily with gospel outreach members and has been living with fellow congregants since college. He felt very comfortable there. He felt wanted and loved and he felt at home. His friends are in the church. His roommates are in the church. He started to like pull away from his family, miss family events, miss family functions. And like as the cult expert, like TikTok cult o'clock, this is what happens. Every cult sucks you in. They want to isolate you. They want to make you cut ties with your family. They want to make you give their money. They want you exhausted. So that's why they have you up at five in the morning. So you can't think clearly. Like they try and rewire your brain and make you completely dependent on the cult. So that was what was happening. He couldn't go places by himself. He always had a member of the church with him, even to visit family members. This is the other thing. This is the other thing. When you see people manipulating your children, how are you not beating their asses? His mom says, When my sister was in the hospital, he would come down to see her, but he always had somebody else with him. And they made a statement once where it's like, well, we wanted to make sure there was a real Aunt Kathleen. When you join a cult and then you're going up through the ranks and you're becoming like a cult chaperone to like chaperone the newbies, don't they teach you to be like less obvious about it? But you know what? To that point, it's very interesting because she said something so telling. You know, again, when your gut says something, listen to that bitch, right? Yeah. But yeah. she said it didn't feel right, but he seemed really happy. And if he was like a lonely kid that they've seen being bullied his whole life. Right. And he seemed happy like maybe they're they're like a little bit more willing to go along with it so now we're meeting this guy named rick ross and he's he seems to be like a cult consultant rick ross is consulted nationwide by families and law enforcement he has made a career studying religious groups including gospel outreach and pastor lethbridge in my experience uh, the families that have loved ones in gospel outreach have very limited communication. Wait, so I did a side goog on Rick Ross. He's amazing. Oh, really? Yeah, he's actually what they call a cult buster. Ooh! And listen to this. He got into the science of studying cults after his grandmother was a victim of a cult in a nursing home. <laughs> so, yeah. That is some sick shit. Who does that? Well, it's a captive audience. Like, they're slowly, like, you're getting, you know, dementia or, you know, they're not well or they're ill or they're physically you know ailing so it's actually the perfect audience oh my to god have a cult. so this guy rick ross like went in there tore it all down busted this nursing home cult down and then since then he dedicated his life to helping people out of cults <gasps> and helping families like the carnies he's fascinating when a group isolates members they do that in order to create a kind of bubble if they can control everything that goes into the mind, they can control the mind itself. I think they were telling him, we're your family now. You don't need your family. We're your family. This line really resonated with me. They say, 
we are your family. And, you know, listen, I do believe family, the word family is all encompassing. I mean, like, you're my family. My, yeah, you know, yeah. Your family doesn't have to be your blood relation. So that's not what I'm saying. But to then it sort of like gets in your mind that we are the people who love you. We are the people that are going to take care of you, not your family. We are your family. So Rick Ross really kind of drove that point home. Yeah. And so, t- like, the dad is telling us that, like, Tim was coming home on, like, the weekends or whatever. And at one point, he came home with, like, a long hair that he was wearing in a ponytail and the dad's like we didn't think much of it uh actually it looked good on him and then we see a picture and i'm like no girl no it doesn't speaking for the round-faced people of america yeah i <laughs> know what it feels like to want to have like long glorious hair it's all i ever wanted in my life and when i was a kid like a chubby kid with glasses just like this kid and i was trying to grow my hair every hairstylist i went to was like girl the long hair just makes your face look a little chubbier girl you gotta do that that spiky pointy hair that you don't want no but the point being he changed his appearance and so did every member of the cult because the cult leader lethbridge had changed his freaking hairstyle that is some kim kardashian like mind trickery voodoo like everybody gets lip implants so you know kim kardashian gets lip implants so everybody gets lip implants i looked up lethbridge she's kind of hot don't i know i know you know i'm sorry you are not a good boy no that is a naughty thing who's a naughty boy So Tim starts dating a woman in the gospel outreach cult. In 2003, the year before Tim disappears, his ties to gospel outreach grow even stronger when he begins seeing a woman who is also a member of the congregation. Uh, she has her face blurred in all photos. Like, in all the, she, I, what she, is that about? She has not given permission to show no, her face. someone slide into my DMs about that. Totally. I mean, truly. But we learned this. This might be one of the creepiest things I've ever heard. They could sit next to one another, but they couldn't hold hands. If they wanted to hold hands, they had to hold a fork. If they wanted to be connected to each other, they had to do so by holding one end of a fork. (laughs) And I was like, is that their rule? Like, obviously the cult says they can't hold hands, but did they come up with the workaround or is this the cult's workaround? I don't know. And don't think that stupid, pathetic, (laughs) wannabe double entendre isn't lost on me. The fork... Do you want a fork? Get out of here. Go sell crazy someplace else. Are you kidding me? It's just the psychological manipulation is vast. I literally didn't plan on saying that. That just came out. I think, too, that like the parents kind of let this slide because I don't think Tim had a lot of girlfriends before this is my guess. So Saturday, September 25th, 2004, that's three days before he goes missing. They have a family dinner. We just had a nice night family wise. We didn't talk about the church at all. He didn't leave early. He stayed and he had dinner with us, and we watched a movie after, and it was like the old Tim. He didn't leave early. He didn't come with the chaperone. They're like, oh, maybe we have our old Tim back for a minute. And it yeah. seemed really, like, copacetic, and everything was cool with the family. Yeah, and then, you guys, this was the thing. Like, the next day, he and his sister Megan have lunch plans, and Megan is so, so sweet and, like, really broken up about this, but she cancels the lunch plans. Do you remember why she canceled the plans, girl? Because she said she was in a bad mood. <laughs> we were supposed to go to lunch, but I canceled because I wasn't 
I wasn't in a good mood. I accept that. I totally accept it. And she, if Megan could do anything in her life differently, it would be going back and not canceling that lunch. Because she felt like he had to maybe tell her something. But I just thought, like, Megan, is there a different way you could tell that story when you're sitting down for the documentary? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I appreciate her so much. I'm a, Me too, me too. But she says, I was in a bad mood. And then she says it again. She's like, I'm just so sorry that I was in a bad mood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you canceled our podcast the other day because you were in a bad mood. It's a legitimate excuse. But if I canceled everything that I had to do in my life because I was in a bad mood, I would literally never do anything. I'm always in a bad mood. That's not true. That's not true. But she, you know, you just, she started tearing up and you could feel, you know, obviously you retrace your step and you're wondering if there was a sign that you missed or, yeah. you know, she just thought maybe that was the time he wanted to confess or tell us something. But it was, I felt, I felt so bad for her in that moment. Tim's request to meet for lunch would echo in Megan's mind. Just two days later, on Tuesday, September 28th, Tim never shows up at morning prayers and disappears. So the Tuesday that he goes missing starts out like a normal day, but at 9 o'clock, he doesn't show up to work. He works at the New Jersey Unemployment Office. Which we'll find out has some interesting information later on in the episode. Yeah. So at 9 a.m., he doesn't show up for work, but he does call his supervisor and tell him that he's going to be late. Apparently, too, that we find out that like showing up late to work was a thing that he did. He and that girlfriend that didn't want her face showed, they had broken up, and I wrote please tell me that bitch got the fuck out. Right. But like, apparently since the breakup, he like wouldn't show up to work on time, which girl, I gotta tell you, nothing in the world makes me more fucking crazy than when people are late for shit. You and me both. But this is what's so interesting because our best friend Christopher says, but by 10 a.m., Tim hasn't arrived. And they they freak out because he wasn't there by 10. And I was like, I mean, he doesn't ever show up, but like, are we in Breckenridge? I know. Like, if he called and said he was going to be late and then right. he wasn't there by 10, right. like, it doesn't... I think the people in his office are tired of, like, picking up his fucking slack. I just have a note that says, fucking pull yourself together, man. You made me write the word man and say it because you're such a fucking mess. Pull yourself together, man. Yeah. No, I appreciate you for that. That's... It sounds weird to say that word. It does sound weird. It sounds more weird coming out of your mouth, but here we are. So his roommate Roy calls his parents wondering where he was. Now remember, this is also really interesting. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Roy is a member of the cult. Do you think that when Roy calls the parents and they answer, he's like, hey, it's Roy from the cult. Just looking for Tim. Is he there? Just wondering, girl. Hey, oh, no, no, no. It's Roy from the cult. It's Roy. Yeah, it's Roy from the cult. Remember, I was one with the ponytail and then the knot because our preacher had the thing. That's me. It's Roy from the cult. I go with him places to make sure that his relatives really are who they say they are. That one. Remember, Mrs. Tim's mom, I'm the one who yelled at you in the hospital when your sister was super sick, so sick that she needed to be in the hospital, and I was just there to make sure she was real. Yes, he's like, that's me. So, so how are you? Alarmed, Phyllis and Ed Carney file a missing persons report with the police in Butler, New Jersey where Tim lives. Sweet Phyllis and Ed file a missing persons report. And okay, they uh, here we go. They search his home and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Did we skip steps? I know. What time is this? <laughs> is it 11 a.m.? Right. Like what's happened? Did they get a warrant? There's no waiting period. How did they get into his home? All of a sudden we're in his apartment. Again, I am just pointing this out because rules from state to state, city and city, it's just, it's just whatever they feel like that day. I know, but I can't believe that we have not yet talked about Detective Colleen Pascal. Oh, I'm getting to Detective Colleen Pascal. <laughs> Detective Colleen Pascal is on the team investigating Tim's case. 
Nothing was taken out of his home of importance. If he had intended to go away for long, he did not take any of his belongings. His room was intact. His clothes were still there. Detective Colleen Pascal does not want to be here. She does that thing where she gives information with her eyes closed. Yeah. Like, she's so aggravated that she has to do this that she literally can't even, and she has to close her eyes when she's talking. She's so annoyed. Yeah, she was <laughs> She was a specific kind of irritated. Yeah. She, did, she had no time for ID, but we appreciate you. Yeah. So she said everything looked everything looked normal. <laughs> Nothing was touched in his house. <laughs> Somebody tells us that when after Tim called his supervisor that morning to tell him that he wasn't coming to work, all calls from the cell phone stopped. That was the last outgoing call. So Wednesday, September 29th, the next day, someone at a diner um, in Lyndhurst finds his wallet in the parking lot. A patron at the Lyndhurst diner spots Tim's wallet in the eatery's parking lot. The restaurant is on Route 23, halfway between Tim's apartment and his office. Police learn from the diner's employees that someone matching Tim's description used to eat breakfast there often. So they find his wallet and they find a number in the phone and they call the number inside and his roommate takes the message. Hey, it's Roy from the call. Right. And the roommate doesn't tell the police about this phone call for days. And then I was like, is that on purpose? Well, here's the thing. Like, the, this thing about Roy from the cult is that, like, he was worried enough in the on the first day that Tim didn't come home that he called the parents, but then he gets a call about the wallet and then doesn't tell anybody about it. So, like... I think that if, if Roy from the cult were involved, he probably wouldn't have called the parents. Like, who knows? And it's like, we find out in the wallet his license and college ID were missing, but his credit card was still there. Right, and Christopher says, Nothing valuable is missing from Tim's wallet. And I was like, um, what is the <laughs> one thing you care about if you lose your wallet? Totally. Your ID. Like, if thieves could just take everything else <laughs> and leave the ID where they found it, you're like, I don't want to go to the DMV. I know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Could you just leave my ID? Can you I pop know. it in a mailbox? I Can know. you just do me a solid? Take my money. Don't take my ID. I know. So the most valuable thing was missing. I mean, you know, not monetarily, like the, his credit cards were all in there and everything, but his ID was missing from his wallet. But that's where down bitch Colleen, who does not want to fucking be here, that's when she's like, you guys, he left on purpose. Like he took the only things that he would need to actually like get on a plane or buy a train ticket. Like it's so obvious to Colleen and she is so mad that she has to talk about it. And she says the same thing that still, no matter how many times I hear it, still makes me do that dog face where a dog turns its head to the side. Uh, like that. <laughs> um, that was more of a visual. But how many times do we have to hear this? <laughs> to be missing on his own, if he just left and did not want to be found, then that in itself is not a crime. I still cannot digest that. Like, you just, you have the right to go missing. It's still curious every time I hear it. The reason that we have to say this all the time is because sometimes it fucking happens. Yeah. And it's like, these selfish pieces of shit who do this, who go missing on purpose and, like, use up all of these resources and then also make the police feel like this is a thing that happens all the time, so we don't really need to investigate some of these cases. It's, I mean, all of this is so enraging. Yeah, and our down bitch Colleen, she's, like, got a gun to her head. She's like, he's he went missing. This is what they do. They go missing. Like, she's checking her phone while she's saying it. She's like liking shit on Instagram. She's like, they go missing. And then, um, oh my God, I love, I love cat memes.
Now it's October 1st, 2004. We're in Newark. And we get the wait, we get the title for Newark and I literally went, "Oh shit, nothing good ever happens in Newark." <laughs> like I I literally said, "Oh shit, here we go." 3 days after Tim vanishes, there's a new development in Newark, about 35 miles from Tim's home. Construction workers discover an abandoned car. When police respond to the scene, they determine that the car belongs to Tim Carney. Like, there's so much about this whole situation. Number one, the car had been there for days and nobody reported it because the sister tells us it's where the the cities of Elizabeth and Newark meet. And, like, the people at Newark were like, you need to call the cops. And the people in Elizabeth were like, no, you need to call the cops. And for days, nobody did anything. Yeah, I don't actually know if that's true because the thing was, the car was in a real precarious spot. <laughs> it was in a what, girl? <laughs> precarious spot is that not a word i don't know it's, it's fine it's fine continue, continue did i say it wrong no you... <laughs> if you had to, it was the way you said it was the real like precarious is such a like that's a word that is pretty serious okay and you said it was real precarious and okay. it just made it was like wow okay ellen was really worried about this you guys okay um thank you for this journey i i appreciate your time the construction site sits on a dirt road off the main highway it's virtually unreachable by foot. We didn't know what to think because, like, well, if his car's there, then how did he get out of the spot? It's in a remote spot. It was very far to walk to anywhere. But they also say that it was like you couldn't access it on foot. And, like, the thing about ID is that they just drove around New Jersey until they found a construction site that they could film at. Right. And the construction site we're seeing looks nothing like the construction site they're describing. Probably, yeah. They're like, you couldn't access it on foot. It was in the middle of nowhere. And you're like, you just, like, see people walking around it. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, like, it's like right by a mall. It's like across the street from the Westbrook Mall. <laughs> totally. So in the reenactment, they, like, like, like you said, they just have like a sign and a construction. Yeah. And if anyone lives in New Jersey, the signage in New Jersey is like a big fuck you to drivers because <laughs> they will tell you like six miles ahead that there's an exit. Yeah. And then after the exit that you were supposed to take, it was like, oh, did you miss that exit? I think you missed that exit. You're like, was that exit 7B? Was that exit 7B? Well, see, now we know why you can't care about, like, the dead bodies littering the side of the highway, as we've established in other episodes, because you're too busy trying to make sense of the goddamn roads in New Jersey. It makes no sense. If you are a New Jersey <laughs> listener, if you do not give me an amen right now, you are a sociopath. Investigators find little that indicates what may have happened to him. It had been raining, and so any clues that there were there, whether it's footprints or whatever, were washed away. No forensics other than his was retained from the vehicle. Colleen, I swear to God, eyes closed, shaking her head. <laughs> She's like, the only fingerprints that were found were his. They, like, everything was normal. He took his briefcase. Like, get out of my office. Right. The last piece of, like, information about this is that the construction site is right by Newark Airport. So, like, he could have just, like, walked to the airport and gotten on a flight. Ed Carney speaks to Pastor Jim Lethbridge soon after Tim goes missing. Just days later, members of his church and Lethbridge leave for a weekend retreat. And he told me when they come back, he'll give me the full support of him in the church and looking for Tim. Look, all of the bullshit of it aside, the idea of going on a weekend church retreat with these cult weirdos, can you imagine it? No, no, absolutely not. Are they sleeping in tents? Are they getting cabins? They're probably like sleeping on top of each other in some kind of weird now, wait ritual. A minute. I have no idea. Now, now wait a minute. What is the phone number for this cult? Yeah. <laughs> 
Where did you say I could find it? No, but like, it's, it's so, it's, they're like, yeah, super want to help you. Super going to get back to you on that. Yeah. We're amped to help. Yeah. And the carnies are like, the fuck you say? You were good enough to take my son's money, but not good enough to help us look for him? But, you know, like like Rick Ross, the, the cult expert, is saying, like... When there's a group, and it's very small, uh, like the Leftbridge group, uh, which has just a handful of members, really, and someone important, like Tim Carney, leaves, who everyone regarded as, at one time, a loyal and devoted member, it creates doubts in the group. And so Rick Ross is saying, like, the leader has to take them into isolation and sort of explain it away. And he does. Like, the family learns that the cult leader is telling the other cult people, no, he's not missing, girl. The parents totally know where he is. They're hiding him. Yeah. And, like, the sister the sister just looks at the camera. She's like, he just feels that my parents have done something with him and that, you know, we're hiding him. We're certainly not hiding him. We're trying to bring him home. Yeah, it's just so sick. And the PI reached out to the church and they're like, hey, remember when you said you were going to help us when you got back from your super creepy unexplained retreat? Yeah, we'd like to cash in on that offer. And they were like, oh, yeah, no, we're not actually. (laughs) No, that was we thought about it. We prayed on it. We're we're actually not going to help you. And and, and the PI was like, and they were actually super rude. (laughs) They were very curt and abrupt. So we're back to Colleen in her office who at this point cannot believe that she's still fucking talking to these idiots. She's like, you guys, listen to me. You know how he worked at the unemployment office? You idiots, do you know what that means he has access to? Everybody's social security information. Tim's position at the state unemployment office put dozens of social security numbers within his reach giving him the ability to create an entirely new identity. This is not what happened, you guys. But I feel like if Tim is out there watching this, he just like palmed to the forehead. Like, oh shit, I could have done that. It was right in front of me the whole time. (laughs) Christopher says, If Tim did assume another identity, it would be virtually impossible to track him. Oh, really, Christopher? <laughs> is is that how changing your name and info works? So they're monitoring his bank accounts and his credit cards. So four days after he goes missing, October 2nd, we get this surveillance video of someone taking money out of Tim's account. This is like fucking crazy. We see the surveillance. They say it's a video, but we see an image. So he's he's wearing a baseball cap. He's And Colleen's like, he's clearly keeping his head down so the camera doesn't see his face. Yeah. So she's just, again, rolling her eyes, explaining this. He takes out, he's got $1,100 in his bank. He takes out $1,000. He's like, I'm going to keep that 100 in there just for just so no one suspects anything. And we see the surveillance video and the bank teller looks at a picture and says, yeah, that's him. But also, let me tell you something super weird about him. He had really splotchy and like rash ridden hands. The person making the transaction had a red splotchy rash all over his hands. I knew it was him. Uh, he had psoriasis starting in high school. I could tell it was him. I could tell it by his hands. Can you imagine a more embarrassing... De- the mom's like, he also suffered from erectile dysfunction. Yeah. I know that that is not germane to the investigation at this point. Can you imagine anything more embarrassing? Like, even this piece of shit sitting in his, uh, like, in his apartment in Chicago when he watched this episode was like, Mom! Yeah, he's like, come Don't talk about my psoriasis! God! I mean, even 
even I, looking at the video, even I knew it was him. The mom's like, I knew it was obviously him. Yeah. And can you imagine what kind of monster you have to be to do that to your fucking parents? Yeah. I cannot imagine. I mean, we're, we're kind of spilling the end a little bit here. But also, um, hands are very recognizable. <laughs> I No... No, I can tell somebody by their hands. I know like, I know what your hands look like. Really? You can pick my hands out of a lineup of hands. I could. I really could. Are you a there, psychic? No. I mean, maybe. I'm psychotic. <laughs> Wait, was that your question? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not allowed to call you crazy. I remember from another episode, but I can trick you into calling yourself crazy, and that's just as good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, that worked well for you. When authorities checked the bank's surveillance images, there is nothing that suggests Tim was being forced to make the withdrawal. But Tim's sister, Megan, isn't convinced that the man believed to be Tim was acting alone. There was no parking lot shots to see if he was by himself or with somebody else. Megan is like, we don't have any parking lot footage. Like, maybe there was somebody. And it's like, Megan, girl, like, I don't understand why anybody would do this, why anybody would abandon their family. And like, but he did it. Like, he did it, girl. And it sucks. Are we giving away the ending? Have we decided to give away the ending? I guess we have to. I can't not talk about it anymore. I I I can't not talk about it anymore. So they look like he's... (laughs) Okay. He <laughs> strokes, strokes. You okay, girl? On the side of my face. Um, they look into his finances and they find out that he has 20K in credit card debt. And his parents didn't know he had financial struggles. Yeah. And his sister was even like, he was super good at saving. I'm like, oh, was he? Because right. $20,000 in credit card debt does not a good saver make. It does not seem like you know him as well as you think you do, Megan. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I love you. But they attribute it to the car. Tim's family suspects that his involvement with gospel outreach may have been a factor in Tim's large debt. When he joined gospel outreach, we started to notice that he didn't have as much money as he did before. Okay, so let's talk about tithing. So, okay, let's, you know, everyone pull over. Everyone pull over. Ellen wants to have a conversation about tithing. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do it, Ellen. According to police, gospel outreach informed them that as a nonprofit organization, it collects annual dues that total about 10% of each member's yearly income. They say it. My point is they say that like it's some wild, ostentatious concept. It's right. not. But they were saying that it was like in this cult, it was like 10% was like the minimum and that he was probably giving far more than that. Yeah, sure. I loved the reenactment. They're like passing the like home right. goods basket and there's a single <laughs> solitary dollar bill. And I was like... A dollar's not going to cut it, Louise. Empty that pocketbook. The props person was like, we need more than a dollar in this basket. And they're like, no, the last time we did that, my cash went missing. Like, well, people give more than a dollar, it's 10%. They're like, no, you can have a dollar or nothing. I'm not giving any more of my cash. They'll get it. It's symbolism. I used to get really upset watching my mom give money to the Catholic Church, but then she, you know, explained to me that, you know, the pastors need to get paid and the lights need to stay on. And, and the lawyers need to get paid and then the priests need to be moved around. I get it. We know what they're spending that money on. I know. The kitty fiddlers need to go to jail. I get it. Please. Okay. I, I also grew up Catholic and I fucking loved it. I was an altar boy. I was obsessed with it. I was an altar boy like all through high school. I loved it. When I was little, I raised such a stink because I went to the Monsignor and I said, why can't there be altar persons? And what did they say? The Monsignor said, oh, Ellen, you're so cute. (gasps) Hand to God. He told me I was cute. And that was the day that I became a feminist. I'm not kidding. Yes! Yes! 
So Lady Detective, she sums it up so nicely. And I am paraphrasing, of course, but she says something like, there are no answers because who knows what happened. We can't find those answers because there aren't any leads. What makes it disturbing is you have a whole lot of questions, but we don't really have any answers, nor do we have a way to find those answers because there are no leads. Off you fuck out my office. Thank you, everybody, for, again, rolling her goddamn eyes like a champ. Get a couple of Chardonnays and Colleen. I bet she is a hoot at bridge night. <laughs> I actually love her. I do, too. On October 21st, three weeks after he disappeared, police get a call from a place called the Terminal One Bar. It's about a 10-minute drive from Newark Airport and the construction site where Tim's car was abandoned. They report that somebody matching Tim's description has been seen at the bar in recent weeks. They've seen someone that looks like Tim. By the way, it's still there. I Googled it. Is it real? I meant to look at it. Is it still owned by Ignacio Pinto, whose Instagram I looked at today? Um, Ignacio Pinto, who, like, I feel was an actor at some point <laughs> in his life. You know how you want Andrew Cuomo to lie down on top of you? I would really, really like Ignacio Pinto to lie down on top of me. Ignacio was the antithesis of Colleen. Because he was... <laughs> psyched for this interview he was perched he had good lighting his hair looked great yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. his his hair looked amazing he was well spoken he was ready he was like do you need another go i have another take in me i have another take in me he was a dream on set he was so excited to be there he was a dream on set (laughs) can we get that ignacio guy back he was a love he was just a little little lamb chop ignacio pinto the owner of Terminal One Bar, remembers the man on the flyer specifically for what he didn't do. He never consumed any alcohol, which is one of the reasons that it stood out to me. I mean, being the owner, I'm I'm looking for people to always be drinking. Uh, He drank water every time. He's like, he never drank anything but water, which I hate as a bar owner. I want people to always be drinking. Sure. And I was like, Ignacio, I think maybe maybe moderation would be, I don't understand drinking in moderation. <laughs> I certainly don't. But like, maybe we don't like say it out loud on TV. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? And um, it, whatever whatever he was saying, it was a great commercial for Terminal One Bar. Totally. Um, <laughs> We're totally, I want to go there. Like, when the world goes back to normal, we should go to Terminal One. Oh my God, we should go. Would that be great? Like, Come to Terminal One. They have great wings and bottomless mimosas on Sunday. <laughs> Stay for the sports on the television. <laughs> but yeah, they, he just says that like he never drank anything. He looked super fucking stressed out. He's like, his eyes were really intense. He says he like he didn't look homeless, which I was like, Ignacio, I think there's a better, there's a different way of saying that. But he says that he wore like slacks and a button down shirt. He goes, you know, office wear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Ignacio. Apparently, he also drew attention for being an unusually reserved bar patron. His look, his, his energy was saying, leave me alone. He, he seemed very tense uh, and very nervous. You can attest to this. I feel like as a bartender, yeah. you really do read people's energy. Like yeah. people who want to talk, people who you want to stay away from. Like I feel like that's a skill. So when he said he came in and had a weird sort of intense energy, I was like, yeah. I mean, I think bartenders are really perceptive people like that. For sure. One night this like super, like I also don't, don't know why you allow a guy to just come in and sit at the bar and just drink water day after day after day. And and I'm not the only one who wonders that because one night this lady bartender was sick of this shit and says to him, like, girl, are you going to order a drink or not? 
Then he accuses her of stealing his wallet. Yeah. Where? Like, what? No, girl, you left that in the diner parking lot. Remember? Remember, girl? Yeah. He was like making a weird scene, and his dad was like, maybe he just was like, had a, hit his breaking point, or maybe he wanted to get found out yeah. or something. But Ignacio says they had to throw him out, and he never came back. And he never came back. Do you think if I go in there and make a scene, Ignacio would put his hands on me to remove me from the bar? Okay. You need to lay down for a nap, okay? <laughs> God. Um. The Carnies considered the frightening thought that perhaps he might not be able to find his way home. We were thinking at that point he might have hit his head. He maybe he didn't know who he was. Again, I always point this out. Whenever they're, you know, you're desperate, you're looking for answers, you're grasping at straws. Maybe the mom says maybe he hit his head. Maybe he had amnesia. I was like, no, girl, that's I not know. what happened. The dad goes, he's not streetwise. He would be taken advantage of so easily. If he had to live on the streets, I just don't see him surviving. Same girl. Same. Same. I am not. A, I am not cut out for living on the street. That wouldn't go great for me either. You have other skills. Thank you, girl. It's okay. <laughs> I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but you do. You're the cutest little podcaster I've ever seen. You're good at something. I, I, I don't know what it is. Just right off the tip top. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Don't pressure me right now. But like, I'll, it'll come to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, just, just like, I can't, I can't think on the fly. Shoot me a text when you figure it out. Two weeks after Tim Carney vanishes, his family must face a sad reality. Tim is really gone. Ten months pass before a new development emerges in Tim's case. The employees at a local deli said that he went there a couple times. He bought a soda and a gift card, which would explain his lack of cell phone usage. But this is ten months later. Like, he's, like, apparently living in Newark, like, near this bar. This deli was near that Terminal 1 bar where my boyfriend Ignacio owns. Yeah. I'm really proud of him, by the way. He's done a really good job running his own business. Yeah. I just, like, he's just been living in Newark for ten fucking months, it seems. They, they don't know. So they never, and the family, again, the family never hears another word from the church. Yeah. It's still, as the episode ends, it's still left a mystery. Clearly, this is completely torn this family apart. Yeah. It's devastating. And then we learn the fucking truth. Which is like, so this is not in the episode. This is like the update that we have found since then. Fucking Tim Curry was found. No, not seven- Tim Curry, girl. Oh, <laughs> My God. Anything can happen on Halloween. How do you do? <laughs> You've met my faithful handyman. <laughs> oh, my God. I, that's two times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're going to keep those in. I know it. Whatever. <laughs> Tim Carney is found seven years later living in Chicago. Seven years later. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. He has... Not spoken to his family since. Oh my God. I mean, the utter selfishness is absolutely rageful. I will never understand. I know. He, He proactively put his family through hell. I don't, and I don't know if he was ever brought up on charges. Did he change his name or did he, is he using the same name? It appears that he is, but he could have been going by a bunch of like different. He also, there's a chance that he had undiagnosed bipolar or schizophrenia. You know, mental illness doesn't look like anything specific. It manifests itself differently in different people. Was he running from the church? Did the church make him go? It doesn't appear that there is a chapter 
chapter of the crazy fucking cult in Chicago. <laughs> Just because someone appears to enjoy life doesn't mean they're not dealing with inner turmoil. Maybe he was not well, which makes me feel bad for calling him an actual piece of shit. Right. But what is so hard about saying, I need to go. Yeah. Please don't look for me. Please don't ask me questions. And then going. I know. Why do you have to put your family through that? And we don't know, like, has he spoken to them at all? No, it doesn't appear so. In my research, it doesn't. It, it seems a lot of the articles said the Carney family would appreciate your respecting their privacy. And that's why I say I'm very contradict. I, I'm going to contradict myself because I think it's the shittiest thing to do to someone. Yeah. You know, like when Michelle Whitaker said, I didn't think anyone would be looking for me. Really, bitch? No. <laughs> people are people. They're going to look for you. It just it, I know. it's so infuriating. But then I think, what if he's sick? What if he's not well? And then that cult yeah. is still in existence. So Tim, not Curry, if you're listening, we would love <laughs> to have a chat and I will control how many times I call you a fucking asshole, I promise. <laughs> You guys, join our Facebook group. It's the Obsessed with Disappeared podcast discussion group. We're in there all the time. Uh, Ellen goes live in there all the time. I'm, I'm going to start doing that more, too. It's just funsies. You should. They're wonderful people. They keep me laughing all the time. I know. You can also follow us on Instagram. It's The Disappeared Pod. Every Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern, we go live and just, like, have fun laughs, good times, girl. Why not? I mean, what? <laughs> you seem over it. You seem more over it than usual by the end of the recording. Are You, you want to just stop talking? or? No, you know what? I'm exhausted. I mean, these are I get so, and this is, I think this is one of my strengths and one of my weaknesses. Tell me everything, girl. I just get emotionally invested in things. I totally. really do. I feel it in like my bones. You found out where this guy lives, girl. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just want to tell you, know, it's like, I saw this TikTok that was like this woman going to heaven. And the first thing she does is she runs around heaven trying to find Jean Benet and go, and goes, what happened to you? I I feel I'm ex- I really am I, I need to go like have a seltzer and a nap. Okay, great. Well, on that note, we love you, you guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can find Ellen Marsh at Ellen Marsh on all the things. Go follow her on Instagram. Do you like following me on Instagram? I do. I actually love your Instagram. I share a lot of your shit. It's really funny. You're very sweet. I know. You are sweet. Thanks. You're girl. a sweet human being. Oh, that's so nice of you. Uh, I love you. I love you. You can follow me at Patrick Hines underscore. I own and embrace the underscore. I'm all about it. Seems excessive. You can follow Donald Trump, the conservatives, you guys. Really important. The election is coming up. Do what I did and follow Donald Trump at Joe Biden and just give. Just give, 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 give. Alan and Patrick are so political. <laughs> we love you. Love you. <laughs> Bye. I am heated. I am heated and I am hot. I'm going to put on my goddamn ember wave in like five seconds to cool this shit down. And here we are again, back with Rose and her beach friends from the Golden Girls. I it's know. Like it always- they want me to talk about it every time. Somebody in the group knew who I was talking about when I was talking about Steph, the roommate, who like just didn't want to hang out. Right. No, I, it always circles back to Golden Girls. And for that, I'm grateful for you. <laughs> um- Do you remember when we went to college? The the like the first no. week was... <laughs> I don't. Yeah, the 1930s were a great decade for going yeah. to college. Um <laughs> I actually loved Newark. One time Steve's parents came to stay and they didn't want to stay in the city. They stayed in Newark and we went out and spent the weekend in Newark and it was great. We had a great time. I I don't believe you. I swear to God. We did. Cory Booker is from there. Yeah, Cory Booker is great, but I, I don't believe you. Oh, fine, great. Great. 